Um, yeah, we can talk about that because I do have an opinion on that. All right. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. This podcast is shaping up. <laughs> I have to podcast with fighting in the war room in three hours. So let's, let's keep it concise. <laughs> you and me? Yeah, was, that was kind of a joke, but then you oh, didn't oh, laugh, okay. so I had to laugh. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. It's Thursday, July 15th. This is issue 21, and my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of Comic-Con. Hello, Dave. Hello. Welcome back. (laughs) Thank you. Um, We wanted to kick off, I guess, talking about a little bit about our two different experiences, because Dave experienced Comic-Con through his computer screen from home, covered uh, in his home. my phone, where this app called Periscope that allows you to live broadcast through the app is like somehow also like Instagram trying to make everybody do it through their phones. So yay, verticals uh, screened everything uh, and crappy quality. Okay, so Dave like squinted through his phone at some panels, um, saw some leaked footage, read updates, got the con experience from home, which is how I've done Comic-Con for the past however many years. This is my first year physically there dave has physically been there in the past so our, our roles were swapped uh this year and yeah we want i guess we want to talk a little bit about like the lived experience versus the experiencing it from home thing and specifically as it relates to well I Warner think brothers yeah. well go ahead go ahead no 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 i think that's a good place to if we're gonna pointed at a studio for being what i would say grumpy old men about it uh warner brothers uh, Sunday released a statement that they knew their Suicide Squad trailer had leaked online, and uh, they were very disappointed in the individual who filmed it, and then followed it up by Monday afternoon releasing the HD version and saying that their anti-piracy team wasn't able to get it down, and uh, they're uh, very sad because this was meant to be an experience for the people who uh, had attended in Hall H. And, uh, and I know you kind of like poo-poo that. Yeah, I mean, I think a little but, bit. But 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 here's and I I am not really that invested because I'm lucky. I'm press. I didn't have to sleep outside for two nights, you know, in order to get myself into Hall H as some people did. Um, you know, so I can understand trying to keep some things special for those people who invested so much time and and passion in trying to get in there. But I I don't think that footage or um previews are the way to do it because that stuff does just inevitably like no matter how many you know well-meaning announcements you hear about 50 of them throughout every single panel and and still and yet someone usually near the front uh ends up you know recording the footage and the panel somehow 
Um, but I think I think it's smart to just do what you know. I forget who did it. You know, Fear the Walking Dead or whatever. You know, if you just basically release your trailer simultaneously as you show it in Hall H. Hall H gets to see it first. They get to like whoop and roar, and then the HD version is available online, so no one has to see the stupid fuzzy footage because that's you know they're not. No one's going to resist posting the fuzzy footage, you know, basically. Right. Um, Star Wars did that. As soon as their panel was over, that right. uh, the video they showed was up. Right. Exactly. But, you know, there are um, in-hall experiences that you can't quite replicate from home. I mean, Lucasfilm did it best, right, by having a whole concert that, that yeah, you, Dave, watched from home via Periscope. But as you told me and as you already announced on Fighting the Orm, so I don't feel like I'm outing you – the emotion would have been more overpowering had you been there. You know, Lucasfilm had this private, you know, special concert for all the people who had waited several nights to get into Hall H and and scrubs like me, and uh, and it was amazing and it was a lived experience that that people who weren't there can't you know can watch it through their phones but not quite have the same thing. So you know, the, I, I you know, obviously not every single panel is gonna have. A private concert, <laughs> lavish private concert, but um, you know other things the Lucasfilm panel did, like like having the articulated puppet on stage. I know you could watch it from home, or you know a lot of the panels go online in HD anyway, so you could watch that. But there's still a difference being in the room watching that puppet with your own eyeballs on the stage. You know, so there are things like that that can provide a lived experience for for con attendees and i feel i feel like they do earn that the people who sleep out in line do earn that and it's not just about like being this close to harrison ford or or asking jennifer lawrence this question or something like that you know it's it's a it's a whole experience i just don't think that protecting i think protecting footage is a lost cause at this point unless they invent some way to zap everyone's device you know while they're right. in the hall age somehow or something like that so I completely agree. And I mean, if that means the scaling back in footage in Hall H, like, great. That's not what Hall H is for. It's for your biggest properties to, to you know, bring something. And I've always been a fan of, like, even the reason that I go to, like, you know, Joss Whedon talking about nothing or uh, uh, the Firefly reunion panel is you want to be in that room with, like, an electricity full of people. Like, even that Firefly reunion panel they eventually released as, like, a documentary about it. Uh, so people could, like, get the whole panel through a documentary, which d- didn't make me feel like I was robbed because it was some sort of, like, weird in-room feeling. And it was something I was robbed of by that excellent concert you get to go to because music especially, like, anybody who's seen a symphony or any any either an outdoor setting or an indoor setting just knows that like that is completely different live than through a goddamn iPhone speaker. And so uh, I guess knowing what's going on is uh, I guess the, the the need to know is always going to be there. And so that's your demand. Right. But just like uh, printing quality posters has been made easier with technology. So has the dissemination of video. So trying to hold back on either of those is creating artificial scarcity, and I don't necessarily believe in that. Um, the people who are really into your fan group are going to be just as into more information after the release of your film as they are going to be before your release of your film. It, the rest is just seems like advertising, and so let it be advertising or don't. And I mean, 
you know, there's also there were a few instances I never, you know, I, I'm bad. I was, I will say, I probably didn't Comic Con as well as I could have Comic Con, um, just because it was my first time. is a bit overwhelming. I was trying to do a lot of things. I don't think you did Comic Con wrong. You know, there's, I'm sure you can. <laughs> there's, uh, no, there's not a. It's very hard, and I don't think you did. I think you're being but, tough on yourself. Well, no, no, but but what I will say is that you know, in a couple panels, they handed out like tickets to redeem. You know, physical memorabilia. I'm not hugely into physical memorabilia, so I didn't ever redeem any of that stuff. But, you know, that's just something that, you know, you can give to your Hall H attendees, you know, a, an exclusive Hateful Eight poster. And, yeah, sure, there's going to be plenty of people who are going to sell it online for a premium or something like that. But, you know, those people who do – who are crazy Tarantino fans – are going to be like, this is the thing I got when I was in Hall H and I saw Tarantino talk about Hateful Eight or something like that. So, um, you know, stuff like that, that is kind of nice and thoughtful. And, and you know, you and I were just looking at a a photo of um, exhibitors in, in the floor of, of the convention center who had loaded up two enormous bags full of Funko. It looks like Funko items, Funko Pop items. I don't know, you know, exactly what they were. But basically, that's Comic-Conning wrong. Right. Right. And I've seen it. I've seen it at book events. I've seen collectors ask an author to sign, you know, 20 copies of a book, obviously with the intention to resell it. And and that just seems not in the spirit of the event at all whatsoever. So that's Comic Conning wrong. No yeah. one there's going to be a whole bunch of people in cosplay there and using that for your advantage as a non fan is wrong. Uh, finding some way to make it about you and your issues with race, sex, or class uh, in a public setting. That's, that's <laughs> Comic-Conning wrong. Yeah. And uh, cutting, cutting in any line is Comic-Conning wrong. Yes. Um, I, I will say this, though. You know, and we started with controversy, but I, I want to start with a positive, which, you know, as I told Dave, I was in a lot of communication with Dave while I was there because, obviously, a lot of things reminded me of you. Um there's this feeling I got mainly on Thursday before the the place got too crowded of just euphoria, basically seeing all these, I mean, adorable sounds condescending, but adorable people. Yeah. Like the Wednesday like, through Friday crowd. Yeah. Just, just dressed up, dressed to the nines, having the time in their life. The costumes are so creative. They're so happy to be there. Um, you know, you get a lot of, Saturday was not my favorite day. I was inside mostly, so it didn't matter. But but the people you see wandering around on like, yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to a certain extent are just so passionate. It's so – it's like the best Halloween because you just <laughs> – my favorite thing to do on Halloween is to walk around and tell people what their costume is. Most of the time I don't say it out loud. I just like say it in my head and I'm like, oh, you're this. And I get really excited. Um, yeah, so the, I don't know. It was no, great. No, the I, whole front area, if you've never been to San Diego, the whole like entrance is like along, is it train tracks you cross over? Yeah, yeah. You cross over some train tracks and the whole front entrance and like these steps and then the inside foyer are basically like the come look at my awesome cosplay yeah. and take photos area slash also laugh at the people who are trying to tell you about Jesus area. And uh, it's amazing. <laughs> There's a Damien, I don't know if it's like a, t- a Damien TV show or a film. Um... But they had big, big posters and, and banners, and they just swarmed the Jesus people with nice. their, like, Damien propaganda, which is pretty great. It's, I've, I've seen some great interactions <laughs> at Comic-Con between, like, geeks and Jesus people. And, like, I'm talking, <laughs> like, not hate-based, but just, like, everyone's out there pushing their thing, man. Comic-Con. 
Comic-Con. Um, yeah, so for me, I mean, yes, I, you know, I, I don't mean to sit here, it, you know, from my seat of privilege and be like, oh, I didn't really care about being this close to Harrison Ford or whatever. Of course I care. But I really think the magic of Comic-Con, for me anyway, is just all the people uh, who are just having the time of their lives. Or, the, you know, the people who did sleep out two nights in a row, you know, you'd see them out there. And then you'd finally see them get in and be in the front row and they, they work so hard to get there and, and all for the love of, of this story. It's all for love of story, which, you know, I can always get behind. So I think this is really telling in the sense that, like, you have someone like Ryan Reynolds who comes out the top of the Deadpool panel and is, like, leaking footage, you know, is basically what made this movie happen because he's there and he's in the room and he's a fan. And every time you hear about somebody getting mad about a leak, it's some, like, I'm the head of marketing for blankety blank 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 who's never been, like, in the room. And I kind of feel like if, you know, you send these suits into the room for a little while for something they actually like, they'll, like, get a better idea of how to deal with it. That's my... my <laughs> I guess make it more crowded is my... Oh, God, <laughs> I'm, I'm screwing it all up. No, I, I mean, I sat with the suits a couple times, and it was really interesting hearing what they were. They're just so logistics-focused, which is understandable. Right, it's their but, job. You know, that, that's their it, job. It, it They're working. Sense. Right, yeah. Um, like, right before the 20th Century Fox panel, I was sitting, like, right in the front, and, and you know, one of the women was just, like, freaking out. She's like, I had to corral 41 people backstage. And I was like, all right, I'm ready for 41 people to come out. Um, <laughs> you know, so that that's about how many people came out. Um but oh, and I did want to say something about yeah the Deadpool thing mm-hmm. on this same theme. First of all, I'm naturally suspicious of some leaks, like the Deadpool quote unquote leaked footage. I'm still suspicious of that narrative. Like I'm still suspicious that someone behind the film itself did not leak that in order to test the waters and, and use the groundswell of support to get the film made. You're talking about the original one, the original one. Right. Right. Uh, you know, so well, then I when mean, they, I'm when almost... they come out with this, narr- they, they come out with this whole narrative, right? Ryan Reynolds and the director, is it Tim Millar? Is that the right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, they come out with this yes. whole narrative where they're like, you, Hall H, you did this, your love of this property, you, you know, and so then all of a sudden everyone in that room, everyone's a fan of Deadpool, uh, is invested. They're like, oh, this is my movie. I'm, I got this made. Like, you know, and then it becomes, uh, that's my really, really cynical concern that it's all part of an extra layer of marketing to, you know, make this feel like a, like a Kickstarter film when it's not, you know, really. Well, uh, um, the story behind the initial leak is something that history is still clearing up, but is probably closer to what you're talking about. Exactly. But that being said, the reaction to it and the fact that when they realized it was out there, they couldn't pull it down because that's what Deadpool fans had replicated it. That's what they're actually talking about, which is what makes this narrative so confusing because they're also like, oh, but not this, though. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, but that being said, to go back to the whole experience in the room thing, no one I know who's seen the Deadpool, and has, wait, has an HD version of the Deadpool trailer hit the web, the internet? No. It's just the bootleg. From what I understand from uh, Drew McWeeny from HitFix, the music that they used on the Deadpool trailer, they don't have the internet broadcast rights for yet, so they're going to save it and uh, put it out with Fantastic Four. Got it. Um, so I haven't seen anyone from home have the same reaction that the people in Hall H had. And I don't know if that's just because 
Ryan Reynolds and TJ Miller, et cetera, did such a good job of hyping up the footage. And then by the time we saw it, we were just like ready to lose our minds over it. And then we lost our minds over it. And then we screamed for them to show it again. They showed it again, you know, like that hysteria. I have not seen such an overwhelming positive reaction from people watching from home. Part of that certainly has to do with the quality of footage that you're squinting at in order to watch. Right. Um, But, you know, part of it also is, convention i've i've experienced festival fever before where i've seen a film at a festival and i'm like this is the best film ever everyone in the world is gonna love it and then it comes out and no one cares um you know so that might be the case here with this with this preview but that is that is a lived in hall age experience like i was in hall age when the daredevil trailer when the sorry i will always call it daredevil instead of deadpool by accident when the deadpool trailer like dropped and everyone lost their mind you know no matter how well that movie does you know, no matter what happens to that franchise, that is that is a very that was the giddy high of the convention for everyone in that room. You know, so awesome. What did you think of it? Um, I liked it a lot. I love T.J. Miller. So, uh, you know, letting T.J. Miller just basically, obviously improvise is always going to win for me. I or the- write, write some, apparently. Or at least he insulted Gina Carano enough to make her notice. Oh, right. <laughs> um, well, I'm the- talking like people have seen the panel. TJ uh, Miller, actually, the, uh, or Tim Miller, whew, that's why it's so hard. Tim yeah. Miller, the director, referenced at some point that TJ Miller had helped him uh, come up with some jokes but he had to hold back because they were kind of mean and gina carano said like imagine if they were like pointed at you i went home and cried yeah and then she was like no seriously and i'm like tina carano you should have just punched tj miller because then it would have been solved anyway um yeah and even ed screen who i don't like (laughs) (laughs) i mean he doesn't have a lot to do in the preview he's basically fighting uh deadpool but it looks so great the uh the highly stylized action the like bullets through the five heads at once like one bullet five heads domino thing um the colossus stuff the whatever it is super mutant teenage sonic head girl yeah Uh, we'll learn all this by February. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, it, it was great. I, I really, really liked it. Um, I, I'm still like, I have no attachment to Deadpool as a comic book character at uh-huh. all. Zero. Right. Uh, so you know, maybe didn't lose my mind as much as someone who I know people who love Deadpool. Uh, that's not me. So you know, I, I maybe didn't go all the way to eleven. Uh, as some people did, but I'd say I got like nine plus about that about that preview. Nice. I mean that that and um, I'd say Suicide Squad, maybe. Yeah. Oh no, there. I mean, you know, this has nothing to do with the comics, but Hunger Games. The Hunger Games panel, uh, maybe maybe because it was like my first big panel of Comic Con. And they had like these timpanis start playing. These guys come out and start playing yeah. timpanis on the stage, and then drummers in the audience. And then they show this teaser, and I got kind of teary. And I'm saying that as someone who thinks the last Hunger Games movie is probably going to be very bad. So <laughs> I don't know. That was a weird emotional reaction. <laughs> Telling you, man, um, music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was just something about it. It was like, you know, and Katniss walks up in this like red version of the of the Mockingjay suit. And I was just like, yes. Oh, my God. So. I, I love the Hunger Games. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know what that was, but that happened. Uh, <laughs> no, that happened to me too. I have a um, Comic Con uh, mocking J Pin from the first movie. It, <laughs> it's why I yeah. saw the first movie at all. So, um, but yeah, so that's my Deadpool reaction. What other reactions do you want to know? Uh, X Men Apocalypse. I want. I want to know the reaction to the leaked things because I think I know what I saw, but I like the knowing that the. Uh, Bolt of the head domino thing is in there is nice. Uh, I you can never you can never tell. And then there's like a thumb over the lens for like 20 seconds. It's a horrible way to do things. That's why I need you. So tell me about X Men Apocalypse. <laughs> oh yeah, I should I I should rewatch that bootleg Deadpool thing to see if I can remember what's missing. Yeah, I think it's just, it's just like more punching shot. Ed Screen, right, or something like that. I don't know. Um, but. Um, let's see. So there's a, like explosions and Sophie Turner is how it starts. Right. Um, and then you see James McAvoy with hair and then later you see him with no hair. Um, mostly asking about unrecognizable Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So this is, this is something you brought up in fighting in the war room. I mean, he's got makeup on his face but it doesn't look to me like they cgi'd his face he's got mm. maybe a bit of prosthetic but it's not like um thanos uh, i was about to say yeah josh brolin is thanos like this is clearly a guy in a suit you know um they might have done some post effects on his face but but it is a guy you know and so you see him talking to um magneto about three quarters of the way through and then at the end you see them you know inside um, near Cer- uh, no, what is it called? Cerebro? Yes. Gosh, yeah. revoke my card. Uh, near Cerebro, you know, uh, standing, you see a pretty good shot of him. Yeah, and lit, like, two, like 2002 in there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. So he's got his, you call them the uh, horsemen, uh, which I guess is a on on fighting the worm, which I guess is the typical the 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 comic book term for for the people that he basically mind controls into working with him. But it's Psylocke and Angel and Magneto and one more Storm. Maybe I think it's Storm. Actually, I have footage of him talking about it on my Twitter feed. Oscar Isaac saying, "When I recruit." Psylocke and Angel and Magneto. <laughs> and he said one more. I think it's Storm. Anyway, um, yeah, it looks great. I, I'm a little dubious about um, all the teenage stuff. I mean, it still just seems like too much. But that's how every X-Men movie seems like to me. All too movies. Much. All superhero movies now. Um, but uh, the stuff, I mean, seeing James McAvoy with his head shaved is amazing and, and I know you've seen that like the money shot of like just him basically in profile with his head shaved and then he turns towards the camera it's it's, it's chilling um in a good way um let's see what else he's coming after Patrick Stewart I, uh, yeah. I don't think he's ever gonna replace Patrick Stewart in my mind but I'm I if someone's gonna try James McAvoy could try and Fassbender I believe said something about or someone said something about Magneto's family had been killed so I don't know oh, if... Oh, no, Quicksilver, no. Oh, you think that's what... Because you know, I know, yeah, Quicksilver is related to him in the comics, right? Yeah. But something, made, it, uh, seems like, it seems like um, Logan at the start of... Which one is it? Last Stand? You know, because you see, you see Magneto in, in 
uh, like plaid. He looks like he's lumberjacking, like like Logan, and um, you know, like he's given up his nefarious X Mening ways, and so maybe he's like settled down with a family, oh, and then apocalypse family. apocalypse kills them, possibly. Mm. Um, or what kill else? Quicksilver. Quicksilver or, can't catch a break. Or or kills Quicksilver, but that would be stupid because Evan Peters is everyone's favorite part of the last movie. So that's true. That would be really really dumb. Um. Olivia Munn did her crap thing where she talked about deep throating a hot dog, which I was not delighted by, but that's neither here nor there. Um, oh, what about, uh, is it, was anything said about Gambit? Nothing at all. Nothing which is weird because that comes out next year, right? Nothing at all was said until Channing Tatum walks out and it was just like people screaming, screaming he's wearing a shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pat just said on Fighting the Worm that he wished he had done some Kate. He did say how y'all doing like in a way that sounded slightly Cajun-y to me. Like he was trying for something that's not the typical Channing oh. voice. Um, not, find like, that not, n- not necessarily committing to like, this is what Gamma's going to sound like, but just maybe throwing like a little Cajun spice. Just being like, on, listen, you're not going to yeah. get any information from me. <laughs> I'm panel. wearing this shirt. I'm mostly here to help Stanley <laughs> down the stairs. <laughs> so endearing. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's X-Men Apocalypse. I, Oscar Isaac looks ridiculous, but, you know, no more so than a lot of comic book characters. So, <laughs> Well, he's going to be the first, one, the first one to get to portray these, you know, giant blue space characters. Right. Uh, so good good on him. Brolin, watch, watch out. <laughs> and then whoever ends up playing Darkseid. Um, are we counting Purple Man? No, wait. David David Tennant isn't purple. Yeah, He's not purple actually man, right? purple. Uh, but it's like the three characters that basically all sort of do the same thing. Right. Yeah. Oscar Isaac is first out of the gate. First out of the so, gate. So, uh, yeah. We, you know, we saw Nightcrawler and Jubilee and... Cyclops. You know, Cyclops. But just, just flashes of them. Nothing major. Yeah, they're still in production. Sophie Turner had the most out of like the young crop to do in that preview, but I think you can see that well enough in the bootleg footage. So, yeah. She had to be filming something while her Game of Thrones controversy was going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the Fantastic Four, you know, just looks like that blue, was so blue, interesting to blue, me because, like, blue, orange, green, blue, blue, I, blue, blue, I and orange, blue, and orange, blue, and orange. I know you're very fascinated with this whole, like, you know, Simon Kinberg, Josh Trank stuff. So I spent <laughs> most of that panel just sort of watching them sit next to each other <laughs> and trying to see if I could actually visualize the tension between them. Um, yeah, it's yeah. it's funny. They're like, we're not going to do 3D because we want this to be like a pure film experience. It's like, no, it's because you don't have time for post-conversion and it comes out August 7th. <laughs> so hey fantastic four i hope you figured out what your ending is because you gotta start making those prints um well, yeah but also as the files i can't believe i said making those prints after we <laughs> talked we mentioned hateful eight Sorry. um as i i wrote about this on um 
on Vanity Fair, but just sort of trying to look at Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox and seeing how their Comic-Con presentations uh, explained what their strategy was to be different, to, you know, distinguish themselves from Marvel. We already had a sense of that, you know, going going in, but just sort of seeing how their presentations backed that up. And, you know, with Warner Brothers, it's exactly what we expected, which is, you know, go dark, go gritty, go dark, dark, villains, villains, evil, evil you know this is what you want to see right fuck the you know heroes and even you know david Iyer like even articulated that like threw down at marvel basically uh and with 20th century fox it seems like it's not just deadpool that is this sort of r-rated um fun r-rated thing you know because they're they're billing deadpool and gambit as like their new anti-heroes right and uh, um you have magneto saying who the fuck are you in a, a trailer? I mean, maybe that's not a final trailer. Maybe it's only a Comic-Con trailer. But I was like, in the trailer? Like, I know that X-Men employs sparing F-bombs, but in the trailer it was surprising. And then, of course, there was that whole, the Hugh Jackman Wolverine promo image of of Logan with, like, one single middle adamantium claw extended. You know, so it seems like this sort of crasser, you know, riding on the coattails of Kick-Ass and, and Kingsman uh, approach to comic book stories uh, to distinguish, you know, uh, a Marvel has its Defender series, which we might talk about a little. We like some images were leaked or posted from uh, Daredevil and, and Jessica Jones. And and that's their, you know, people talked about the shock and delight of, of seeing comic book heroes, Marvel comic book heroes swearing in Daredevil when it came out earlier this year. Um, and so it seems like to me that 20th Century Fox is embracing that, but like, like the Defender series is, is the grit of Warner Brothers, which with some of the R-rated PG-13. Defenders is the... No, 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 no. Listen to me. Okay. Yeah. Defenders is like the grit of what Warner Brothers is doing their films and the, um, you know, foul language and extra violence of, of both Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox. Um, you know, so 20th Century Fox is doing that, that more violent, more swearing, but the fun version, you know, so the Guardians of the Galaxy, but yeah, yeah, to a certain extent, but Guardians is still like, you know, in the, in the trailer for Guardians, when Chris Pratt puts up his middle finger, it's obscured by it was graphics. not at Comic-Con. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. But I mean, like, but, I, I see what you're saying. I think it's like. I don't know. Yeah, the way to differentiate yourself, but in some ways, um, they're both ahead of Marvel. Like they're both post-team franchises, which is really or post-team universes, I guess. Which to me was exciting to see in this Comic Con is to both come out to say they're different from Marvel, but also both kind of come out similarly, being like, "We know you liked the Avengers. Here, your dirty Avengers." Basically right. says every says everyone. Yeah. So um, those are my 20th Century Fox thoughts. Oh yeah, and we'll get more to uh, DC in our Q and A section. Yes. Uh, before that, we're going to hit some news. I want to say really quickly. Um, I mean, we're mostly talking about Comic Con. What else are we going to talk about? But. Um, uh, is as shameless self promotion. I posted an interview with Noel Stevenson, who, um, you know, is a writer behind Lumberjanes, writer and artist behind Demona. Um, Lumberjanes won a ton of Eisner awards. I guess not a ton, but you know, they won a bunch of Eisner awards. The Eisner award winners, which are announced at Comic Con, and obviously, you know, like 
we can't put full stock in award shows like you know the Oscars or whatever who knows what what corruption lies beneath the Eisner Awards but the fact that like so many women and so many independent comics won the Eisner Awards um is is heartening and and interesting signals a shift and the shift I think we've been pushing for as a community so yay everyone yeah so I interviewed Noelle Stevenson uh she did address the whole like how she feels about men writing the Lumberjanes movies Lumberjanes movie and the Nimona movie. Uh, she actually got kind of um, emotional about that. Um, so that's over on VanityFair.com. Well, Stevenson interview. Uh, and if you haven't read Nimona or Lumberjanes, I really uh, suggest you do that. So do that. Uh, elsewise, we want to talk really quickly about, you know, the two big bits of comic book, actual book news that came out of Comic-Con. One would be the Legends of Korra comic book that they're doing. Well, there was um, a lot of comic book news, but these are the best ones. Well, the big, the biggest, or the ones I'm most interested in, I guess. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, because there's a lot of weird... We'll, we'll keep going. Okay. <laughs> no time for everything. Um, yeah, the ones that interest me most are um, this Legends of Korra uh, book. You know, Dave and I, in case you missed it, used to do a podcast called Republic City Dispatch about the Legends of Korra TV show. And uh, they are doing, we knew that they were doing a comic book about it before comic book, before Comic-Con happened, actually. But, uh, you know, it it seems to be about Korra's adventures in the spirit world, which is really interesting. And and a lot of people are are calling it the Korasami comic book because you know the art that they released was Korra and Asani in the spirit worlds um you know so it will probably get to address more explicitly not like you know not Hannibal not Deadpool explicitly but um (laughs) you know more more directly the relationship stuff that they only got to allude to wouldn't it be crazy if it uh just did go kind of more explicit explicit. (laughs) it would be interesting dark horse i don't think that's their brand but maybe it'll be the uh (laughs) ghost at a watchman of the cora universe uh tenzin is actually a racist tenzin is a racist lots of lesbian (laughs) sex milo is uh just horrible (laughs) Uh, and then the other news is is uh joss whedon announced that he will be doing um a comic book speaking i think is with dark horse right think speaking of dark horse i um was sort of unaware this happened the first time i heard about it so i still did not look it up yes let's say with dark horse and uh that i will promise to link to this in the show notes so we self-correct um he announced uh at his panel his panel is supposed to be sort of the the seinfeld of um of panels in that it was like a panel about nothing um and a very well received panel about nothing from what yeah i i enjoyed it i i skipped another panel in order to go to it um and they you know they the yeah it is with dark horse i just looked it up so it's dark horse it's called twist he described it uh, he said you know this answers the question why isn't there a victorian female batman which really excited me actually and once again i thought of dave because you know i feel like you and i talk all the time about Batman and Zorro and Scarlet Pimpernel and like these these older iterations of of this uh, of this great story of a of a noble person you know Robin Hood whatever this noble person dressing up well I guess Robin Hood's not quite the same anyway um so Joss Whedon's doing that with with the woman he, it's gonna be sweet he I hope so he showed some cover art 
Um, Did you say anything else about it? Six issues coming out next year. I hope I she know. uses that scarf to swing around. And he, I'm, I'm looking at an interview he gave Entertainment Weekly right now. And he says, it's a story I stuck in my head for the last couple of years that I was feeling like, I guess I have time to get this out now. Out of my head and onto a page. It's called Twist, and it's a Victorian thriller superhero story about a young chambermaid. Oh, okay, so I guess it's Ooh. not quite. Um, who bad things happen to her. Needless to say, because of something I'm writing, she becomes very powerful because of it. Um, eh, so... That's interesting because it feeds it. When I post, when I posted the screenshot of you know the cover, which he threw up in Hall H, uh, when I posted it on Twitter, someone I know said, you know, oh, so it's Joss Whedon. So I wonder how much uh, punishment she has to go through before she gets to become powerful. <laughs> and I thought in my head, cynical, cynical reaction. And then I see that that's exactly what Joss Whedon intends to do. So okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> isn't that just a character thing, though? Well, um, I don't know. Uh, uh, once again, to self-promote, <laughs> Noel Stevenson talks about how there is like one kind of tough female character, and it, it's a character who has to sort of prove herself uh, before she can be accepted to be powerful alongside the men, whereas the men don't have to prove themselves in that way. They're just assumed. And that's a great thing about, about Lumberjanes that I, that I really, really like. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's an all ages comic, so it's more juvenile than, than some of the stuff I read. But I do like that you just have all these girls that right off the bat are great at a bunch of stuff and they don't really have to prove it. It's just like, and you don't have a male character for like four issues. And it's just like, it's not in the context of that. It's just these women show up and they're great in different ways, not in the same, you know, not in the Furiosa way, but in a, a bunch of different ways. And I say that as someone who likes Furiosa. Anyway, um, I got way off topic. I'm sorry. Joss Whedon. Twist. I'm still excited, of course. I love Joss. So. Right. And of course, uh, it'll be judged by its own merits, but... Concern- and not in the context of problematic Black Widow or anything like that. That's right. This isn't a stand-in for anything. It's just, just one comic book, and we're going to let it be. Yes. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> so those those are the two bits of comic book, actual book news that I'm excited about. Is there anything you were excited about? Nothing that I don't think we won't pick up uh, moving down, except I still haven't read the Invader Zim issue one yet because I'm scared it might not be as good as when I liked it as a child. Because a lot of Jonan Vasquez's uh, writing, when revisited, seems childish because it's written for an 18-year-old goth kid, which I'm not anymore. But yeah, that was my like sort of mental struggle while you were here. Is uh, you were there was trying to think about like, do I want to go out and get this new book? It seems reviews from Comic Con are good. Um, I'm I'm sorry that I left you alone to struggle with that all by yourself. That's okay. I struggle with a lot of things by myself. Okay. Um, so let's roll to news for a second. Is that what we want to do next? Sure. Well, just quickly, I mean, there's not a lot of news that we want to talk about, but I guess, um, is there anything from the Daredevil set photos or the Jessica Jones set photos that you want to talk about that are out there in the world? Uh, I like the fact that uh, Luke Cage looks to be unharmable, and I'm hoping that his unburnable jacket means also an unharmable jacket, because that seems like just a ridiculous thing. I want to see them try to weave into the Gritty Defenders universe. Be like, also, my jacket! 
<laughs> or that he's like, here, take my jacket. And that's supposed to be like, oh, good. He's going to protect her with the jacket. With the jacket. All right. Um, Just picture I, a big black man being like, here, take my jacket. Uh, and being the most suave. And putting, putting it like enveloping a tiny little Kristen Ritter. Yeah, Kristen Ritter just disappearing inside this jacket. All right. Um, is there anything else? I, I don't know. I've got a Star Wars note here. I can't remember. Did we already talk enough about Star Wars? Yeah, I just wanted to hear you say the concert was amazing. And the concert was amazing. It, it was a really cool experience. It was really delightful to see um, Harrison Ford seem so excited. Um, the One of my takeaways was that Adam Driver didn't seem very excited, but then someone sent me a link of a backstage interview <laughs> where Adam Driver talks about how he, he went to Comic-Con when he was four uh, as like a fan, obviously, and uh, or, you know, probably as his parents' accessory, I guess, <laughs> more likely. Um, <laughs> and then also talked about, he's like, you know, I heard that people have been like waiting outline for two nights, so that's a lot of pressure, and you want to say something good and make it worth their time, and he laughs. You know, he's like laughing and seeming like interested. So whatever I saw up on stage in Hall H and at that concert was maybe just overwhelmed you know, of the non-genocidal variety that Jesse Eisenberg spoke of. But right. um, That's what made Adam Driver's casting in this movie so much different than the other people who are very capable actors that I'm interested to see. But it's like, that's the guy's like, that's the Harrison Ford of your new group. That's the guy yeah. that doesn't want to be in Star Wars, but is just going to treat it like a role. And so that's why I'm really excited for Kylo Ren things. Yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, Donald Gleason has asked the question, you know, is your character evil? And he goes... He's British, of course he is. You know, that's that's the glib, funny, Hall H panel answer. You know, and, and then when Adam Driver's asked the same question, he launches into this, like, complicated, naughty answer about, you know, the nature of evil and sympathizing with your character and all that sort of stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, someone's someone's doing something a little different here. All right, it's interesting. Which so. is good. You want that. It's going to be great. And then they're going to let him hopefully take his mask off because otherwise, why have Adam Driver? But, like, you know. That's how I feel about Gwendolyn Christie, too. So mm, Yes, I think hers might be coming. I think we've talked about this before. But I think her part grows uh, as the movies go on. Right. Um, all right, so that's the new stuff. We're going to hit a an email that we got here, mostly because it's going to um, give us an excuse to talk about uh, DC, which is what you guys always want us to talk about. So we are ready to do that. Uh, this is from Rachel. And she says, uh, what's good, Dave and Joanna? Comic-Con happened last weekend, and I have to say I was a bit underwhelmed. Not because Marvel wasn't there. I doubt their presence would have made the weekend more compelling. Um, it's just because everything that happened was, well, predictable. I mean, sure, the Suicide Squad footage was really good, and Deadpool was good, and I like clockwork people either loved or loathed anything mentioned during the Batman v Superman panel. It was so predictable that I got bored. But I will say that Suicide Squad is clearly, in my opinion, the most compelling comic book movie to come out in 2016, just because of how trippy it seems. Seeing the trailer along with aspects of uh, Batman v Superman made me believe that this crazy close your eyes and swing for the fence DCCU could actually work. Oh, and if Gotham and Metropolis are really just Oakland and SF as born and raised resident of the town, that's what we refer to Oakland, Oakland as. as. No disrespect, Ben Affleck. Uh, I've never heard Oakland called the town. The town. Okay. Yeah, no, that was disarming <laughs> to me, too. I didn't mean to correct you. I was just, I'm also, that she capitalizes it. The yeah, town. yeah. I mean, we call San Francisco the city, so that makes sense. The, the city town, and the, the town. city. Yeah. Um, 
you know, when we talk about bridge, I've heard bridge and tunnel, which is how you refer to like when people from Oakland are in the city, bridge and tunnel, um, and uh, and the city. But I've never heard the town, so thanks, Rachel. Uh, I have to say, I could see that we we always were the coolest part of the bay, and don't let those hipster tech guys tell you different. So there's that. I'm also quite impressed with WB slash DC's diversity in both gender and race. The ladies of both Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad showed up, and in some cases showed out in both trailers. So good for them. Seriously, Marvel, y'all need to step up your game in this department. It's getting a bit ridiculous now. My question is, were you expecting more from the DC side of the WB panel? I was. I expected casting announcements and information on the Wonder Woman movie, which I believe goes into production in the fall. Let me know. Oh, yeah. Shout out to the new Legend of Korra, Korasami comic book thing. Team Avatar is back in business. Peace and love from the town, Rachel. Um, great email, Rachel. Thank you very much. Yes. I learned a thing about my home, so thank you. <laughs> um, also good opinions because they are similar to mine. Yes, yes. They align with my opinions, so that's great. Um, I will say, you know, we all know that I have a knee-jerk negative uh, DC reaction. So I tried to go into the panel with with an open mind. Um, I still didn't love the Batman v Superman trailer, though I did get I did get as the Reddit kids say hype about when they show the concept art for the upcoming Justice League movies. You know, and and, and Warner Brothers DC, well Warner Brothers did this thing. Which I didn't know, since I'm such a new person to Comic-Con, I didn't know happened, where they unveil the side screens yeah. in Hollywood. So you have this, like, surround uh, experience, and you can't see everything at once. There's too much happening, and you just keep, like, swiveling your head around trying to watch everything, and it's and it's really amazing. Um but I, I agree with Rachel that I was expecting them to announce, I don't know, Chris Pine as Green Lantern or someone else's Green Lantern. Um, they did announce, you know, they did flash the concept art up for Green Lantern. And it said Green Lantern Core, which confirms the rumor that we're not just going to get a Hal Jordan um, or Jon Stewart. We're probably going to get both uh, Green Lantern. Um and it's rumored that Chris Pine, who was originally rumored to be Steve Trevor, has been offered Hal Jordan. So that's that's right, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I actually might have contributed to some of this disappointment because I was told and reported that they were going to line up the whole Justice League on stage. Uh, so my question is, who screwed that up? Ezra know Miller. Was, I blame Ezra Miller, obviously. I mean, it, <laughs> No. <laughs> that that'd be a good one uh, if they haven't locked down contracts with somebody that would be a good one uh you know it's it's like if there's just one piece it's like you can't put them all together they're not gonna put a partial together so one person could have screwed up that because i really know they were trying to do that because that would have been the moment that's the moment everybody's going for that's the moment 20th century fox you know had with their stanley superhero selfie so do you think as like um compensation that's why we got the cast of suicide squad on a plane from vancouver or toronto or wherever they are like they hopped on a plane came out basically waved and left well it's basically. like here's the people whose schedules we could control yeah we we have all these people in one place right now let's put them on a plane yep um it's like you don't for- know how hard it was to get ben affleck here <laughs> after the jennifer garner thing broke like three <laughs> days before it's like we just you gotta be happy with what you got yeah um, yeah, so I was expecting Green Lantern. Like, it's weird to me that they haven't cast Green Lantern, you know, given that they've announced Ezra Miller and um, Jason Momoa, and I don't know the name of the actor playing Cyclops, like, so long ago. It feels like so long ago to me. Um, yeah, so in that sense, I guess, a bit of a letdown that there was no news there. I was also expecting, what was the other thing I was expecting? 
Oh, that's Star Wars. I was expecting a, a new Star Wars director to be announced. Yes. Um, but we didn't get that. But anyway, um, going back to DC Warner Brothers. Yeah, once again, I, I didn't really love um, the Batman v Superman trailer. I, I'm not really on board for that movie. But uh, Suicide Squad, I'm excited about. I thought that footage was really good. Um, I really like that they focus so much on Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn not to be predictable. But I just thought that was really interesting angle. You know, Will Smith and... You know, I mean, it makes sense to sort of mystery box Jared Leto from most of the, of the trailer, like or or the the footage, like that that makes sense. But um, you know, Will Smith is arguably the biggest star in, in that film, and and he's not in it nearly as much as Margot Robbie is. So only one shot of Jai Courtney that I could tell. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> so yeah, wait, okay. So you watched it, I'm sure, a hundred times more than I did. Is it? Cara Delevingne in the in the glasses with Joel Kinnaman in those scenes, or is it Margot Robbie? It's Cara Delevingne, right? Wait, he was getting like uh, electroshocked by the Joker. No, no, there's like a shot of Joel Kinnaman like looking like he's going to kiss a girl wearing glasses. Um, oh, I don't know. I've not. Uh, you didn't pay attention to the romantic scenes in the Suicide Squad. No, I've, I've been in a text I am conversation with uh, Meredith Warner of LA's Hero Complex blog about if the Joker is going to torture Harley Quinn to madness. How is this movie going to make us heroize or make a heroine out of Harley Quinn while not making us hate Jared Leto's Joker? But isn't it okay if we hate Jared Leto's Joker? I mean, uh, ish. Patch has asked you the question on on fighting the worm, I think, of like who's the bad guy in the Suicide Squad movie. Right. There are a bunch of bad guys teaming together to take down um, what, or in a team up that David Iyer called bad versus evil. Yes. Who's the evil? And maybe the evil is Jared Leto's Joker. Uh, she's on. She's on team on bad. Episode, and haven't we? Do we what? want to dip into spoilers? Uh, we've. Out, I think we've outlined the Suicide Squad plot in a previous episode. But there's I'll, like a heist, right? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, will, people maybe don't we want to hear Suicide Squad spoilers. Skip ahead thirty seconds. But Lex Luthor needs the Enchantress's magic to use against Superman because it doesn't work in Batman v Superman. So their job is to stop Enchantress's delivery to Lex Luthor. Uh, that's their Suicide Squad mission. And then it'll end with the Joker's escape, presumably. Uh, but uh, and I think pre- start with the Joker's captures based on the footage that we saw and the fact that Batman's in it and uh, we see a little bit of uh, origin stuff. And then also uh, Harley Quinn in full costume in the Joker's car. So I think that's like Joker heist. Or no, Joker gets caught. Um, bring this is the longer team than 30 together. seconds. <laughs> and uh, everything I just explained. Uh, welcome okay. back, spoiler-averse people. <laughs> um, no, it's a good question. I mean, it's it's probably an impossible question for even you and Meredith, as, as brainy as you are, to figure out before actually seeing the movie well i mean it's just Um, to talk about like we caught on it before with joss whedon like how much does this character have to go through before she becomes powerful suicide squad's gonna do that too right and it's either gonna work but like by that time we will have known that the joker beat a child to death and see him torture harlequin into being so it's like 
Uh, and he's also like not the centerpiece of any of these movies. So how do you keep that character something that isn't just the caricature that's standing in for the Joker, but actually the Joker's character? It's like the Batman animated series uh, managed to pull off the Harlequin Joker relationship, I think, because it was limited by being an animated series. Uh, but like her, their their relationships portrayal in the comics and whatnot is varied wildly from like you know more or less horribly ab- abusive based on who's writing it. So I'm right. I'm we don't concerned. like to throw around the term problematic, but but we might. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's my understanding, having not read, um, any of the Harley Quinn uh comic books or comic books where she's featured. Uh, so I know not wherever I speak, but it's my impression from a certain segment of the fandom that I tend to agree with that the animated version of her is the only version that isn't like really fucked up. Um, well, yeah, and it comes with writers, you know, and goes with writers, but the animated ones and Paul Dini who created her really got, got a beat on that character. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So that so being that's... said, Margot Robbie looks like she's killing it with what she's got. So oh, if any yeah. of it's there, I'm sure that I'll I'll be fine. I'm just watching the trailer over and over again and putting the things in the shot and realize that the last line the Joker delivers is to Harlequin is kind of chilling. But I think it's supposed to be right. Is prob? I mean, is probably to Harley Quinn. Is unless he's electrocuting ninety-eight percent probably to Harley Quinn, right? Yeah. Um, yes, I would say I would say yes. Right, because it's not like early in the trailer we see a shot of her in the chair. No, right? we do, yeah. Oh, we, we do? do? Yeah. Okay. Then, She's yeah. strapped down with the belt 100%. in her mouth, and there's the reflecting thing that he later moves is above her. So Great. 100% torturing Harley Quinn into existence. Not going to kill her, just going to hurt her really bad. Real, real, real bad. Um, but that being said, uh, to keep a the sort of thing of continuity yeah. with why I feel okay not liking Batman v Superman but liking Suicide Squad it's like they both have ridiculous designs but I've been saying it since the beginning if they work in motion then you know it's gonna work but like Killer Clock Croc looking up doesn't look stupid like the set photos looked Margot Robbie and that ridiculous outfit works Jared Leto is like fine but it's not doesn't not work like I'm not looking at his tattoos so much I'm missing everything else maybe his grill but you know it's right up in front and center but Suicide Squad's design is working and Batman v Superman is isn't and that gives me hope for the DC universe because maybe this is the superhero universe where directors can actually put their stamp on a film which yeah. Marvel is proving increasingly difficult to do yeah and that's a, that's a really good angle like if David Iyer um you know, whatever your opinion on him, if he's allowed to do something that's distinctly different than what Snyder's doing, then that's interesting at the very least, yeah. you know, and, and that might mean then Patty Jenkins then might be able to do something really cool and interesting and different with Wonder Woman possibly. So, um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good takeaway. Is there anything else we want to talk about in terms of the DC panel? Um, I don't think so. I, okay. I have great hope. Uh, for all of their, you know, universe, like Rachel said, I'm with Rachel, but like kind of eh on their, uh, what their definition of dropping the hammer at Comic-Con is. And I mean, it's true. I agree with her in terms of diversity. Once again, I, I wrote about this over on VF is like, um, Mar, you know, whatever, as much as Marvel's doing to bring in Chadwick Boseman, to bring in um, whoever it is they cast as Carol Danvers, et cetera, et cetera, when you close your eyes and think of Marvel, you still think of a parade of square-jawed white guys named Chris for the most part, right? Yes. Um, Ooh, I have something to tell you when the podcast is over, remind me. 
<laughs> oh god, tantalizing. Um, you know, but when when you think about the star power that that came out for, you know, the the DC and uh, 20th Century Fox panels, you know, yeah, you still have Channing Tatum and Ben Affleck who are white guys, Ryan Reynolds white guys, but like Will Smith, arguably as as arguably not white. No, arguably as much of a star as Ben Affleck, certainly in his day, definitely was. You know, there's, that's the biggest star power you're getting off of that panel is either Ben Affleck or Will Smith. And then over on the 20th Century Fox side, you have fucking Jennifer Lawrence is one of the biggest stars in the whole world. You know, and as much as little as Mystique sometimes seems to make an impact on these things, you know, the fact that the, those are their biggest stars are not white guys named Chris is, you know, is something to be said. So Word. Um, all right, we're to mother. Um, should we roll to our next, which is also DC related, our next email? Indeed. Ooh, Indeed. controversy again. We okay. sidestepped it at the beginning. Will we sidestep it again? <laughs> uh, this is a continuation talking about, about Joker. Uh, this is from Dave, and he says, um, I'm sure you get roughly a billion emails about, uh, anyway. Uh, how at this how point, much they like our work. Oh, okay. I skipped the part where they complimented us and it made the whole thing <laughs> awkward. Okay. <laughs> At this point, we all know that there will be an animated killing joke. Uh, killing joke is... Do you want to explain quickly what the killing joke is? Uh, it is the Alan Moore single Batman arc uh, that provides a possible origin for the Joker, uh, where Barbara Gordon gets shot by the Joker and paralyzed who eventually become Oracle. Oracle um, yeah. It's considered a quintessential Batman story. I just took the word right out of the email. That's what it is, the killing joke. You should read it if you haven't yet. <laughs> You'll notice by the end of this why. Okay. So Dave goes on to say, I see a variety of opinions on this and I want to hear from the two of you. I don't even know what to think, what I think anymore. When I first read it, I found it highly disturbing but still impressive. Many call it the quintessential Joker story. Uh, when I read it, I think I was less aware of gender politics and the effects of misogyny as well as general underrepresentation of women in comics, and that's without bringing up women in refrigerators. I guess my question becomes this. Is The Killing Joke truly misogynist and without merit, or is it one example of many that just becomes too much? Is it awful on its own, or is it one strong among comics that broke the camel's back? Also, given how strong outrage culture on the internet is right now, is this a terrible decision to make this piece? I find myself questioning my own enjoyment of it. Granted, I haven't read it in years, but do I need to re-examine? Would definitely appreciate your thoughts. Um, I saw a quote. There's that great... Um, this is me, Joanna, talking right now, obviously, because I'm rambling. But there's this great... Um, Twitter account call from a woman who goes by DC Comics Kicking Ass. I forget what her actual name is, though. I've talked to her. DC Women Kicking Ass? Yep, yep. DC Women Kicking Ass. That's She's great. That's helping me. Assuming uh, it's a she, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, I, I believe it is. Um, doesn't have to be. Sorry. Okay. No, I don't, I don't, men's rights isn't a thing. I'm an idiot. Keep going. Uh, I've... I've <laughs> I've talked to her on the phone, so it is. Um, oh, ooh. ooh. Now let's talk about that. No, we got to talk So I'm going to read a, a bit from a blog post that she posted um, related to the killing joke. I think, yeah. And it says, so how did Barbara Gordon become Oracle? Just two years after 1986's Crisis on Infinite Earths had eradicated two parts of the female trinity of DC Comics, Supergirl, who killed... 
who was killed and Wonder Woman, who was rebooted, Batgirl was alone. As the world of Batman became darker, the character of Batgirl was seen as too light. As Alan Moore wrote his story, The Killing Joke, he made a request of DC. Could he shoot Barbara Gordon? The decision was made in time. It took Len Wine, I don't know who that is, to walk down the hallway to Dick uh, Giordano. The answer, yeah, okay, cripple the bitch. Uh, that's in quotes. And I saw some conversation that she had with some comics fans online about that quote, yeah, okay, cripple the bitch, which... Um, I guess Alan Moore said in an interview a long time ago, and no one is ever from DC has ever bothered denying. Um, so you know that's that's a that's not a great phrase you want floating around um, this character. And Oracle became this quite strong, impressive character that a lot of people are interested. In. But once again, it's the question is how much suffering does a woman have to go through in order you know in order for her to be a strong character in this world? So. Um, yeah, that's just my sidebar on that. Dave, what are your thoughts on the killing? No, 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 it's a great sidebar because it sort of reveals, I think, where the real issue with all of this is, with, is with, which is with the like machinery that makes these things happen, not with like the individual works. Like an animated killing joke seems unnecessary, not because I don't want to see it, but because DC's like comic movies for the most part are unnecessary. And I feel like this is just like pulling. It's like, uh, for me, if you're going to make an animated adaptation of something, the whole point is to pick a style and a narrative that works the best for whatever character you're working with. So the whole idea of having like a set style for a group of like movies that you pump out has always seemed really weird to me. That being said, I like DC's movies better than Marvel movies, which I think we've discussed a little bit in terms of like their straight-to-video stuff. But like I, it, I don't need an animated killing joke, especially because it's an Alan Moore comic, a guy who writes comics to be experienced as comics. And so I guess going into the killing joke specifically, I'll preface by saying that is I'm a fan of Alan Moore's comic book writing uh, pretty much across the board. Uh, I imagine, you know, he has a lot of the same inherent biases that a lot of men do of uh, his age group. Uh, but he's also really weird and uh, very meticulous about his comics. His scripts describe panels in incredible detail, uh, varying, leaving very little up to the artist. Um, and at this point, he just does a quintessential Batman story that is about how close we all are to madness. So he uses uh, Barbara Gordon... Uh, the Joker shoots Barbara Gordon and then kidnaps Commissioner Gordon and takes him through a funhouse ride where he has pictures of his naked, now paralyzed, shot daughter around, which sort of implies some sort of sexual uh, harass- or sexual violence, but doesn't actually show it because just because she's naked. But the purpose is to drive Commissioner Gordon insane so that you know he can uh, see how easy it is so batman can see how easy it is to turn a good man insane uh so batman will be so mad at the joker that he'll eventually kill him and you know complete the sad joker's life since we see his origin and sort of it's uh not necessarily his fault um so as a one shot and a comic yeah it's undoubtable that barbara gordon's a prop in this story but it's not intended to necessarily be part of the arc uh, the fact that he was, like, given this character to do that with, I can't imagine that, you know, the fact that he had to ask means that, it, you know, it was Barbara Gordon because he wanted to do something to Commissioner Gordon. It wasn't Barbara Gordon because he hated Batgirl. Or, uh, you know, if he hated women, it could have been any woman for a character they needed to torture. 
So I don't know if that makes it okay or not for right, me. Right, but, but it's sort of like a well, like a Sansa Theon conversation that we had around Game of Thrones, right? It's like Barbara Gordon. I have no emotional attachment to Barbara Gordon, so I, you know, I'm speaking from ignorance. So please feel free to ignore me. But anytime a female character that means something to the audience, be they female readers or not, uh, is slotted into a story to service the men of the story, which is, you know, the Joker and Batman and Commissioner Gordon, um, that's disappointing, right? Yes. I mean, disappointing's fine. That's a perfectly fine reaction to have to it. I'm just, I don't think it's, I, uh, it's not the kind of quote unquote problematic, like, you know, if I I collected like, yeah, yeah. if I collected like, um, minstrel show photographs to show to children, like, I love that this is always your (laughs) go-to. It's like, yeah, because blackface is just, blackface is just instantly wrong, (laughs) which I've accepted, but it's like, you know, it's a culturally, it's a thing that happened. And it's interesting to me that, you know, with anything that we all just decide is wrong and excise is always interesting to me that it was purely a cultural creation. And I totally am not arguing in favor of it, but I'm like know, saying but... <laughs> no one's, no one's going to, we're not going to get to a point in civil rights where we burn all the copies of the killing joke because it's not that type of fiction. No, but I mean, I do think it's, it speaks to a larger, um, like, you know, I just want to keep referring people back to this great conversation I have with Noel Stevenson. And I wasn't even allowed to print everything she said, you know, just because it was too much. Everything she said was great, basically. But just it's a it's a an approach to women in comics, how they've been approached for so long. Yeah. Um, the like- strong characters and the victimized characters, just because the for so long the people telling the story were men. And men who weren't necessarily keyed into thinking about women um, as fully formed humans. I mean, I have no. Oh, I don't problem. know if that's Alan Moore, though. Uh, um, maybe, maybe not. I, be, I mean, eh. what's your what's your example of Alan Moore creating a really great, very nuanced female character? I'm not necessarily thinking about nuance, but in terms of a neutral exploration, uh, the like three uh, volume erotica story he illustrated with his wife over like 15 years, Lost Girls, is yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, but I mean, point being, as I don't think he's malicious in anything, if at worst he's just a person. With. But I mean, what you're saying, I mean, what that means is that the neutral ground is, I mean, I, 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 I think the neutral ground is, I don't know, I don't know how to articulate this necessarily, but I think, I think the default assumption that some people make about female characters yes. is not neutral. There's malicious, which is bad, but there's also um, just negligence. Um, which is also bad and not neutral. Yeah, but and which is... You know, and neutral is actually thinking about male and female characters in the same way. I agree with you completely talking about the animated killing joke. I'm uncomfortable retroactively applying that to something that we were all, like, cool with when it came out. That we're maybe not cool with because the industry wasn't in that place, in which case, great, we can, like, evolve out of it. But, like, The Killing Joke is one of the greatest Batman comics. 
in terms of what it says about the Joker and Batman's relationship, which is a key relationship to Batman. And uh, it seems it seems weird to uh, retroactively hold it responsible. I don't know why. It does. It's like it can't defend itself. The animated movie cannot be made, and we can yell that out of existence. But I guess, but like, you know, if you look at... I don't know, Gone with the Wind, which is one of the most important films of all time. But if you look at it, it's got some goddamn issues. And I think it's okay to call it out for having some goddamn issues, even if you can contextualize it in the time. I can still watch Gone with the Wind and understand the the time context, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that the racial shit in that, which is not just the racial shit of like, you know, the Civil War era South, but the racial shit of like the actual filmmakers. Um, you recognize it. You know, it doesn't mean throw Gone with the Wind on the Fire and eradicate it from film history. It doesn't mean burn ki- the killing joke. Right. It does mean that maybe it is a less good comic than we thought when, and I, you know, you know, once again, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be an asshole and traipse in here and be like, hey, this book you loved when you were younger, it right. sucks. Because I haven't even fucking read it. So what the fuck do I know? Right? Excuse all my language right then. But um, <laughs> we were talking but, about reading. It was, it was important. But, uh, you know, I just think when you view something in the context in through the lens of a more, I don't know, what do we want to say enlightened perspective? Um, I think it's okay to call out the problems of something. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm if we want to have a critical reckoning with the killing joke, I'm all for it. And I encourage that, you know, right. all together. And but like, whereas like on our Game of Thrones podcast, we suggested certain things they did to Sansa might have been lazy. I can only accuse DC Comics of doing anything wrong here. I can't accuse Alan Moore of being lazy. For the story he's telling. I mean, yeah. Me, and, and not And not having read it, I'm not going to do that either. So. Awesome. Well, I've, I, let's revisit it after you read it. I think you should okay. check it out. Sounds good. <laughs> um, all right. Is that all we want to say about The Killing Joke? I believe so. All right. Guess what, guys? You thought we were going to get this far without, with hardly talking about Marvel at all. And you were wrong. Because uh, Dave wants to say... Dave has seen Ant-Man. I have. And he is here to, in a non-spoiler way report or walk some things back or, or do something go for it Dave. yeah i had a column where i saw nine minutes of ant-man and said the 3d made me kind of nauseous and the miniature photography looked horrible and it wasn't funny i take those three statements back and if you happen to see ant-man this weekend do not make the mistake that half of my audience did and leave while there's still anything being projected on the screen or you will kick yourself especially if you are a fan of the uh you know, where Marvel's uh, going in the future. And that's uh, what I want to say. And I think that uh, we'll be having an interesting conversation next week about uh, some developments there. Right. So I'm seeing it, man, on Friday in 3D, in IMAX 3D, um, which is an interesting decision on my part uh, <laughs> because I notoriously don't like 3D. But um, I believe you that, that, it'll, that it'll be a good experience. And I promise to stay uh until they turn the lights up right is that yeah. a good measurement until they turn the lights up until they turn the, uh, well see that uh, you want to see like the end credits you know like completely clear the screen right and then you'll know when you're allowed to get up okay 
Um, all right. And I'm excited. I mean, I've heard good things about Ant-Man. Positive things. So I'm excited and interested. It is so enjoyable. You hear how they sent the police for yeah. telling me to like <laughs> people to go see it. That's Plus. that's how it is. It's enjoyable <laughs> enough. It was enjoyable enough for me that hold on. Um, the police are here because you leaked the information that there is something post credits. Yeah, how no, dare you? It's the Joss Whedon police. He's like, <laughs> I stopped all of this. <laughs> I trained people to leave so they'd see it a second time. Anyway, um, yeah, you. Uh, in terms of uh, people who really like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I enjoyed it, especially after watching all the other studios being like, this is what Marvel's doing, right? And then you see Ant-Man, you're like, oh, hey, Marvel can still not have to do that. Oh, that's how vague I'll be. Okay. There's no one named Chris in this movie. Oh, never mind. Don't answer that. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you next Um, week, guys. (laughs) Um, All right. That's it for us. If you have any uh, thoughts or questions, you know, we got a lot more emails that we will probably address next week. Uh, You know, we, we, we took a lot of time talking about Comic-Con as, you know, as we would do. Uh, But if you have any emails, thoughts, questions, whatever, you can send them to bubble your thoughts at gmail.com. Please don't be unkind. If I said things about the killing joke and, no, you can be unkind. I can take it. It's fine. Um, Dave, where can people find your work in the meantime? Uh, you can find me writing at latino-review.com, geek.com, and forbes.com, my podcasting at fightinginthewarroom.com. More episodes of this at Batman v Superman, enter the night.com, and on Twitter at dgay7e. I'm Jonah Robinson. You can find a lot of Comic Con spewing. On my Twitter feed, at Joe wrote this. It's all worth it, by the way. Even, uh, like, scroll down, take the time. <laughs> you can find uh, some Comic-Con writing over on VanityFair.com. Also worth it. Uh, Do I have and... to scroll up for that? Van- no, Vanity Fair's Hollywood's pretty good. And your, yeah. your popular articles are all right there at the front, so, yeah. Um, and... You can listen to me talk about television. Oh, we didn't even talk about any of the comic book television stuff. Anyway. Uh, oh, man. Well, good. <laughs> we have a lot of time to talk about Flash season two. There's a new reverse Flash, guys. Let's le- learn about Zoom in the next few months. Excellent. Uh, right, read up on Zoom, and we will catch you next week. Bye. Yeah, that sounds bad. Now that we've squared away the propositions, let's begin with the ultimate tough man competition. Set it off. It's the fight of the century. KRS and Professor X would battle each other mentally with Ron. These two team captains waste no time Charles Xavier tried to invade Chris Parker's mind He shot a cerebral probe at Chris's mind, but he missed it Professor X taken out by the Blastmaster's metaphysics Round two, new fight, words of life, you gotta see this Locked in Mortal Kombat, it's Doctor Strange and the genius Yeah, son, he's no match, let that graphic wizard have it My liquid sword slashes straight through Doctor Strange's magic Another hero down, and now the score is two to zero My words from the genius, and he's still my ramen hero Now the next fight was conducted in a rough-like manner Specifically between Reggie Noble and Dr. David Banner Or should I say the Incredible Hulk when he's amped off the gamma But Reggie Noble soon became the Incredible Red Man and slammed him You know how Red Man gets when his adrenaline starts pumping Started skitzing in the ring so then the thing tried to jump in Ben Grimm leaps into the ring and after Red Man he lunges But Reggie Noble dropped him with two bricks and he punches Bums by the bunches, bums get dirty in the Middle Eastern dungeons Ready to set this like Detective Columbo with his hunches While the refs clean out the ring cause the last fight was so intense Let's do a live interview with a brother named Common Sense Yeah yeah it's Common Sense, a nice man Tried to freeze me, so I took him to Chicago and told him to take it easy. 